0: Coming up on episode 123 of Appetite for Distortion, we speak with photographer and film director Danny Clinch. He's going to talk about All I Can Say, a new documentary featuring Blind Melon's Shannon Hoon. I shouldn't even just say featuring. Shannon shot most of the documentary. He tells us all about it, including a scene where Shannon walks into the studio to record Don't Cry. Welcome to the podcast. Do you know where you are,
1: You know where you this is appetite for distortion.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 123. It is Brando. And what a journey. I say this every time we start our our podcast uh, that it's been. I believe it was episode 41 that we had Christopher Thorne on from from Blind Melon, and he was such an awesome guy. Uh, I got to see Blind Melon at La Poussin Rouge here in, in New York City. It was my first experience seeing Blind Melon, and it was just A great one. However, I mean, I I support everything that Blind Melon is doing now. I I, I loved how Christopher said that he makes less money touring with Blind Melon than he was just being a producer. But he wants to play the music that he wrote, and he never had a chance to play all of it uh, with Shannon, Shannon Hoon, who passed away. And obviously, with that being my first time seeing Blind Melon, I never got to see the, the late and great Shannon Hoon. I believe he was. Uh, when did he uh, pass away, Danny? Uh, Danny Clinch, who was on. I think it was 1990.
1: Right. Hey, it was 95, 90, October 21st. Yeah. yeah.
0: I was. I think I was. Not to make you feel old, but I was 12, 13, <laughs> just getting into my my rock. I mean, obviously, you know the the, the no uh, the no rain video came out, and I was just obsessed. You know, that was just my 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 wheelhouse. Uh, but Danny clinch uh thank you so much for for joining us and by the way is that that 's your real last name right clinch
1: yeah yeah that 's it yep but, danny clinch that 's <laughs> you sound
0: like that 's like the the nickname for a point guard for like the Celtics or something <laughs> yeah we got Danny clinch coming in off the bench
1: that 's right uh, watch out
0: I love it so when we spoke to to Christopher and it was also very cool how they invited us uh me and my I went with my cousin and my my girlfriend, uh, backstage, hung with them a little bit, um, that it was just um, missing Shannon. Was, it's so, I think, important in in today's world because we still see the same things that are happening to our rock stars and, of course, our friends and family members, and that's perhaps going down the quote-unquote wrong path. But we got Danny on today because uh, I was referred to by Blind Melon's manager because I've known about this movie that was... Um, I don't think Christopher could talk about it too much at the time. But all I can say, the, the documentary about Shannon, and I've been following the Facebook page, so if you want to read more about it, all I can say on Facebook. And then all of a sudden, it premiered just a few blocks away from where I'm recording this right now at the Tribeca Film Festival. And Danny is the director of that of that movie. So I wanted to have you on and talk about you know everything Shannon Hoon and everything about you, so... And you know, that's my there. long my my typical long preamble to the set the stage and just <laughs> just say thank you for coming on I really appreciate the time I know you're super busy because you're not only directing films you're a photographer so you told us off air right now but is today a day off cuz you're home in uh, Toms River New Jersey right
1: Yeah I'm home um I uh and first of all thanks for having me on I'm always uh interested to talk about blind melon and uh filmmaking and photography and all that sure. um, and, uh, music. And, uh, yeah, I'm home. Uh, I am producing a, a big job that's kind of been going for the last, uh, week or so and will continue to go on. And, uh, and then, um, so, uh, you know, I, I've been working from home, which is nice. Um, so that's exciting. And then tonight, uh, last night I actually went to see Mark Lanigan, Speaking of 90s, great 90s bands, sure. Mark Lanigan played at the Stone Pony last night um, from the Screaming Trees, and man, his set was incredible. It was really rich and really moody as he is, and his band was just fantastic. And uh, and then tonight, I go back to Asbury Park, where I have, a, I have a gallery in Asbury Park called Transparent Gallery, and it's at the uh, Asbury Hotel, and I have... Um, You know, I have my photographs up in there, and we have live music there, and it's a great uh, community spot where we do uh, a lot of charity events and music events, and it's just a good hang. Um, And it's become like a little central meeting spot for all the musicians in Asbury Park. Uh, And then tonight I'm playing – I play in a blues band called the Tangiers Blues Band, and um, we're playing with a guy named Matty Carlock, Uh, We're playing with uh, Adam from Low Cut Connie, which is an incredible band from Philly, Um, and Tangier's Blues Band, and then uh, Jesse Mallon. And Jesse Mallon's a great friend of mine for a long time. He's a great friend to Asbury Park. And, uh, you know, we all run in the same circles and have a lot of the same friends. And so, in fact, uh, Jesse was kind enough to squeeze us in and make room for us at his place called Berlin under a in New York city to have the after show hang with blind melon. After our first, uh, all I can say screening, we had a celebration of the band and the music and Shannon. And, uh, we had a little jam there where, where, uh, Shannon's daughter Nico got up and sang with uh, blind melon and, uh, and blind melon played. And, uh, we just, uh, Joseph Arthur was there. He, he sat in with the band and did change. And then, uh, Brian Fallon from the Gaslight Anthem and, uh, mm-hmm. Brian came and sat in, um, with the band as well. Uh, he did soup and walk and, uh, he's just a great, great guy, great supporter of, uh, of the film. And, um, you know, it's just people kind of celebrating and like, it's really been a long road, uh, this film and, um, you know, it was kind of like a little bit. We 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 really felt like we were able to have a little bit of a celebration uh, with it. And um, you know, like I said, it's been a long road. And although I am the overseeing director of the project, um, there are a couple other co-directors. Okay. Um, uh, Taryn Gould, who's also the editor, an incredible storyteller, an incredible um storytelling mind and a great editor uh Hennessy who was her support in the edit and has been supporting the film and helping me uh sh- you know with this film for oh my gosh probably 10 or 11 years and um and then of course um Shannon Hoon was the other director so Oh wow right it's, uh, yeah it's a collective and um you know film filmmaking is teamwork and, uh, you know, we had a really great team, a lot of people chipping in uh, to help out and a lot of people deferring uh, their payment to help on the project. Um, Greg Tobler, who's at Sound, um, Sam Gersky from Irving Harvey, and Linda Narvaez, our producer. I'm um, sure I'm leaving somebody out unintentionally, but um, it's, been, it's, been, it's, been, it's been great, and we all feel so close to the project. It's very exciting, so amazing because
0: you did you cut your teeth first as a photographer because blind melon and i want to get how the project first started but they were one of the many bands like the, the a-list acts that you've photographed over the years johnny cash yeah. tupac dave matthews springsteen and again blind melon being one of them so yes. was it something about that band out of all the acts that you've um, worked with that made you want to be involved in a project like this. So how did how did this start? And you just said it's been ten, eleven years. Like when did this journey start for you?
1: Well, um, I ended up meeting the band um, on the MTV 120 Minutes tour. So it was live, um, the band live, Blind Melon, Big Audio Dynamite, and Public Image Limited. And nice. That was the tour, okay. and I was on the tour with Live uh, photographing them, I think, uh, for some publicity photos. And, and, uh, I happened to meet the guys in blind melon and, you know, you, you know, you meet someone and you're just like, man, these are my kind of people, right? Mm -hmm. You know? And we were all around the same age and I was starting on my career. They were starting to blow up and, you know, we were just like, you know, let's do this together. You know, like, but you know, they got in touch with their, um, their publicist. And, um, she hooked up a photo shoot when they when we all got back into New York City. And uh, I just from that point on, I just started to show up like, you know, if they came into town for Saturday Night Live or or Letterman or if they were, you know, they went to Europe. And I said, you know, what, I'm buying a plane ticket to Europe. Just book me in the same hotel rooms as you guys. And I'm, I'm coming along. And they were like, yeah, bring it, you know. So I I did Europe trips, and I was in the recording studio when they did Soup down in New Orleans. Um, Same thing with uh, Nico after Shannon passed. And so, you know, it's just a friendship, you know, that we had and and continue to have um, with the whole sort of Bly Mellon family. And it's, you know, we just sort of came up together, and we just were having such a great time and such a great run, and everything was just like... Just so incredible, and uh, and then you know we just had the rug pulled out from underneath of us, all of us, you know, sh- you know the, the band, the family, you know, um, friends, and it was really um, it was really painful, and and so you know um, that's how we met, and that's what bonded us together, also, you know, throughout all this hard time, you know, and you know I went to you know. I ended up... uh, One of the things that I credit Shannon with (laughs) is uh, throwing me up on stage with my harmonica at, (laughs) um, at a show where it was Blind Melon, Soundgarden, and Neil Young. Wow. And I had told Shannon that I played the harmonica, and he you really like to poke at people and you like to kind of put people in uncomfortable situations. You got a real kick out of it. <laughs> and so he said, Oh yeah, Danny, man, you're going to, you're going to come up and play your harmonica with us. And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like I played like once at a barbecue <laughs> and he said, Oh man, it's all a big barbecue, Danny. You're going to come up and play with us. And I thought he's never going to remember, you know, by the time they go on stage, you know, and sure enough, he like pointed at me and he goes, remember during change, we're going to do that little breakdown little Dear Mr. Fantasy breakdown, and you're just going to roll out there and play some harmonica. And I was like, all right. So, <laughs> so I did. And uh, and I just felt like I kind of nailed it. You know, we rehearsed it a little bit beforehand. But, you know, for someone who had no prior experience whatsoever up on a stage, like, I just felt like I was in the right key and I came in in the right places and I got out of his way when he was ready to sing. And to me, that was a victory. And, um, and then they kept asking me, all the time like they'll come up and you know sit in with us you know in, in fact i sat in with them at um woodstock 1994 i played on change with blind melon
0: oh that's amazing
1: and uh, yeah it's crazy so it's a deep friendship and i still have a deep friendship with the uh with the whole band and crew and all that and stuff and so um i'm really grateful for that
0: i'm gonna start using that phrase it's all a big barbecue I like that. Yeah. That's that's, that's very <laughs> it
1: is.
0: That's very I mean, cool. It's a
1: classic Shannon Hoon.
0: That's very really. cool. And you mentioned I mean I know a little bit about the film. I've had friends that were lucky enough to go down to see it and give great reviews, mm-hmm. but Shannon being a director, so these are I guess explain the film because a rock mm-hmm. documentary can mean so many different things. Of course now with the dirt and Bohemian Rhapsody, I mean there could be a lot of different ways you can go. Uh, with portraying yeah. someone's story. So how is this, how is this built? How is his story told?
1: Well, we started by doing maybe a more traditional documentary about the band and where they might be going after Shannon's death. And we received a box of high tapes that Lisa, Shannon's girlfriend, and Nico's mother uh, gave to me to help with the project. And so, you know, I, I took took the box and we started to look through it, um, Colleen and I at the time. And and we like, were like, "Man, this is kind of interesting." It like and of course, I remember being around him, I remember him filming everything, you know. Hmm. I mean, this is pre-social media. This is when you had to really make an effort to film things, to have tapes and to have batteries and keep them charged. The big clunky of the the
0: big, yeah, the big clunky yeah. camcorder, sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, you know, I think he was like a pioneer of self-documentation in <laughs> that way, and and so um, we started, you know, and and we started to like you know discuss it with everyone, and we I was talking with Brad Smith, the bass player from Blind Melon, and, and he was like, well, you know, what about like just showing the showing it from Shannon's point of view. Is that, is that something you could possibly do? And we were all kind of like, no, that would be crazy. Mm. There's just no way you could tell the whole story. And as we dug in and we brought in Taryn Gould um, as our editor, you know, she's always up for a challenge and, she and, you know, we all like to try and do something different. Um, we were like, let's try this. And so what we ended up with really is, um, I think, a very, very um, unique film. That is kind of in a category of its own, to be honest. It's just like an archival look at someone's life by them, by their own self, Mm -hmm. you know, and he filmed everything about his life. He was fearless in his filming. He filmed, um, you know, himself brushing his teeth. He filmed himself recording, doing demos. He filmed the television set. <laughs> uh, he filmed the daily sheets for the tour. He filmed the band playing. He filmed himself doing drugs. Oh, wow. He filmed his daughter being born. Wow. Uh, he filmed everything. And so you have this this sort of look into this guy's life and as you're watching the film you get a third of the way through and you're like waiting for like a talking head to come on and say and then yeah you know we think that shannon did this or that and instead you have shannon basically turning to the camera and telling part of the story or putting a uh you know a journalist um on the phone where he's put a little you know, kind of like suction cup on the phone so you can hear what the journalist is asking him and then he's telling his own story. Really? Oh wow. And yeah, so so as you go through it's not what you expect. It's not a blind melon documentary. It's a it's a documentary of this guy who started filming his life before he was famous in Lafayette, Indiana, and just had a habit of filming himself playing music and filming his parents and his home life and his girlfriend and the television. And what was going on at the time in, in 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 history and culture? So you see bits of the O.J. trial and and you see bits of uh, of um, the Rodney King and the riots in L.A. and Tanya Harding and this all sorts of crazy crazy stuff that he's been filming. And then it builds up to a point where you actually, you, you know, he's becoming they become they get signed and he films that. And then the next thing you know he's filming in a TV again only he's on the TV and it really becomes this incredible journey of like a like a self documentation that is um, is incredible and 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 it becomes more of a story about this young man and the pressures on his life that he's been dealing with and, you know, and drug addiction and mental health and the choices you make and how short life can really be wow. and um, and time, which is stamped on the bottom of the film throughout that he was shooting um Time is becomes a character in the film, and you're you're That's aware of how much time you have. You're aware you're aware of how much time he has at the beginning of the film, and then you kind of like you kind of like get to know him, and you're like getting excited because he's such a charismatic guy, and he's funny, and he's like pranking people and just having a good time, and then like it starts to turn dark a little bit, you know, and then you kind of like you look down at the date, and you're like, oh shit, like october twenty first nineteen ninety five is you know a couple months away mm. and um and then before you know it it really ramps up and it really becomes uh uh apparent that this is not going to end well do you think that he knew
0: like or or did he have any sort of plan to for this to be released in some sort of form i i have, i feel like obviously you knew him but he would be happy mm. with this finally seeing the light if he was that involved in it like it wasn't just how you're explaining it it wasn't just uh you know a dad with a camcorder the fact that he's putting it yeah. you know he's showing the time you know with the oj yeah. stuff and the rodney king stuff and he's you can hear yeah. journalists, uh, journalists interview him do you think like yeah. that was ever meant to become something
1: well i mean if you watch the film that'll answer some of the questions for you um but yeah i feel like he in the back of his mind like he says in the film that he's He's filming all this stuff because his life is moving so fast at this moment that he wants to be able to look back on it in the future oh. and um, and he in, in fact did tell his girlfriend because he and I became really close towards the end of his life and and uh, you know we we shared creative conversations about all sorts of things and and um, and he um, said to Lisa that you know if anything were ever to happen to him that that I should have this footage. Uh, and he does in the film talk about wanting to get into film wow. and to, um, you know, to, to maybe give music a break for a minute and, and that. So.
0: Was there anything, because you became obviously really close with him, that surprised you from uh, the videos? and Anything that you didn't know about Shannon perhaps before that you learned from going through his, his work?
1: You know, what surprised me was, you know, he seemingly, you know, artists are very sort of haphazard and like, you know, they are winging it most of the time, which which I feel like he was, and he had a lot of those qualities, but he also just had this kind of... Um, determination to to tell this story and to document everything, maybe perhaps, you know, a little OCD, but, (laughs) but like not missing out on like, you know, when you're a filmmaker and you're editing something like this together and you're like, well, for sure there's going to be a bunch of holes in here because you just have this guy's footage. But, you know, every day he filmed, you know, the newspaper date or the date of the, uh, you know, what tour they were on. And he would turn to someone and say, what day is today? Or, you know what time is it or you mm-hmm. know and he, so he's like constantly like feeding us these sort of segues and information that we needed to help tell the story and it's to like put it knew. in the context of time yeah and uh and then at one point his wife uh, i'm sorry his uh girlfriend lisa came to us and said you know what i just found was i found this big box of of uh answering machine tapes and shannon used to call and leave me messages and people would call and leave him messages and he never wanted to erase them he wanted to keep them Hmm. so he kept all these in so then we had another 70 hours of dentist appointments and lawn care maintenance (laughs) and and then all of a sudden it would be Mike McCready calling him and saying Shannon oh wow you know uh I'm in the same you know I just you know I'm in rehab and I I kind of am having a rough time and I wanted to talk to you about it uh, so like those type of things, like, you know, we're like point one percent of all the all the stuff we went through. But but, you know, really big props to the editing team, you know, Taryn and Colleen to really just, you know, be obsessive about getting all that information and listening to it all.
0: Wow. You mentioned, of course, Shannon from Lafayette. And if you couldn't tell from the name, we look at everything on this podcast, including mental health through a, a Guns and Roses prism and of course yeah. uh, Axel was friends with with Shannon don't cry um there was f- yeah. if i'm not mistaken there, there's footage of Axel I like think he's part of the story yeah. Uh yeah can you can you yeah. talk
1: about that he, he and flash um yeah you know i mean Shannon um you know was in Lafayette and uh he decided he wanted to go and see what he could figure out and um in LA. He wanted to, you know, see if he could find a band. And, and, and uh, his sister, Anna knew uh, Axel from when they were kids and Axel's from Lafayette, of course. And, and, um, and so Shannon went out and, and like hooked up with them and he put them together and then they asked him to sing on that tune. And, and it became part of, uh, you know, his legacy, Shannon's. And uh, he literally has his video camera when he walks into the studio and says, this is where Axel and I are cutting vocals for this, Tune, and uh, he walks in the door, and who's standing there but Slash and Axel? <laughs> mm.
0: that, that's that's incredible, because often the GNR fans talk about how, cause I'm wondering if Shannon and Axel bonded over, because Axel, I guess, used to do that. There's apparently all this footage from the Use Your Illusion era that's in this vault somewhere that fans uh-huh. would love to see, it. like, what, I guess, what Shannon did. I mean, it's just given this behind-the-scenes of real people with with real yeah. problems even though we all might look at them as a rock star they're real of course very real people uh, that, absolutely that's just um it's very special so is that what took so long to go through I guess just the voicemails is that was that the long process no. or what,
1: what were some of the oh, challenges God. I mean you know digitizing all these eight tapes some of them were starting to fall apart um, you know and you know just combing through it through hours and hours and hours of footage, you know, just, you know, just trying to find a story, you know? And um, what I'm really proud of, you know, is the fact that it's funny. I feel like we all seem to align in a funny way because, because uh, like, if you see my past films, I was like, I, 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 I often open up with like a, a sequence you know, shot with like, you know, very artful, maybe 16 millimeter or super eight, and very sort of impressionistic and set a tone for the warmth of the film and that sort of thing. And and we were laughing because, you know, Shannon, the way he shot things was so experimental with um, his, you know, and, and in the beginning it was, it was, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. You know, it was just kind of, average footage he was getting to know the camera and you can see as the film progresses he gets more experimental with it and more creative and he's doing all this cool stuff and and you know there just wasn't a better person to cut that together than Taryn because that's kind of the aesthetic that we've built together is like the document yet bringing an artfulness to that you know and so the film is really like in a way it's an experimental film Um, visually speaking. And then the story though, is really intact and really um, is really, you know, kind of like a traditional story of, you know, a guy becomes famous and gets in a rock band is playing, you know, stadiums and then, and then dies from a drug overdose, you know, it's like, it's, it's sad to say, and it's a simple and kind of a trite statement, but it's like, but he documented it all himself, and it's just madness, really, yeah. um, and 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 sad, you know.
0: Of cu- of course, and again, we we I, I to- often talk about mental health. Uh, last episode, talking with Dave Kushner from Velvet Revolver, he recalled uh, the last phone call he got from Chester Bennington, uh, which was two days before mm-hmm. he passed. Uh, we've had episodes about West Arkine, which I don't know if he was friends with with Shannon, but he was in that. That group, the wrote a lot of the early GNR stuff, and passed away mm-hmm. from an overdose very, very young. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I like that it's now it's you really included and made Shannon the, the visionary of the film, even though obviously other people are putting it together. Because I, I think about again the dirt, and I've read Nikki Six's books, and he he just had his journals. This is just a whole other way of of looking at things and especially if he yeah. was really, yeah, we had some videos and, and stuff of Amy Winehouse, but I don't think she was as, she didn't step behind the camera and become kind of become yeah. the director of it. So this is just super special how he, he does it. Yeah. So what is yeah. the, the, the plan now? Cause I know it was, uh, it was at Tribeca film festival and I know there's a lot that yeah. goes into that. Um, with yeah. the, the film circuits. One of my, uh, friends, you know, are you familiar with the uh, Dare to Be Different, the uh, WLIR documentary? No. Okay, that was. WLIR was a uh, Long Island radio station back in the day. It broke a lot of new wave um, uh-huh. bands, and, like U2 credits them, The Cure credits them. So, uh, oh, wow. my friend was the PD. He's obviously uh, a program director, he's uh, obviously much older than I am. And they did the same thing that you're doing uh doing all these these circuits and now it's on showtime. So I, I it's that's the hopefully I, that's the path I would like to hopefully this film. I hope I'm not jumping the gun yeah. a little bit. So
1: No, I mean, you yeah, know, this is why you go to Tribeca, you go there and the buyers get to see it and people get to um you know uh make a decision on whether they think it's uh it's a worthy film. And we've had a lot of really good um a good response to the film. And I think I think because on the merit of the story and on the merit of its unique content and the way it's put together. And I think what people, you know, in this world of content is king and everybody, you know, wants to, you know, have content, that- I, I think. They also want stuff that's unique. They don't want cookie cutter, same old, same old. You know, and it's like, I just don't believe there's another film like it out there. And it's a great story, and that's the feedback we're getting, where people are like, I'm not sure I've ever seen a documentary like this, and this is be, you know, quickly becoming my favorite music doc. Of you know, many people told us that, and and it's a real conversation starter when you watch the film. There's afterwards. You know, sometimes you see a film, you're like, wow, that was great. What a great story arc. And it landed here and that big, hap- you know, thing happened and all that. And this is like a little more layered and a little, a lot more layered. And there's so much to see and there's so much layering of the footage and, and like, um, you know, things that you kind of can miss the first time around. And so you, you're, you're really interested in maybe seeing it again and again. And like, it's really, you um, it's it's just it's super uh, super unique and and I think people want to talk about you know they want to talk about the band they want to talk about the music they want to talk about the filmmaking the editing they want to talk about drug addiction and they want to talk about mental health and you know after the screenings um you literally every screening we had quite a few people uh just just in tears afterwards and meeting with us and just expressing you know, th- that they lost someone really dear to them uh, to a similar situation uh, or that they just love the music so much or that they didn't know the band and then they just come in and they come out loving, you know, Shannon and like rediscovering, you know, the blind melon music uh, and things like that. So th- that's the stuff that we're hoping for. And, you know, we really need a great distribution partner, someone that can put it in some theaters for us and, And uh, and get us, you know, on a streaming service um, and and just, uh, you know, the the goal is really to let people know that this isn't a typical music documentary and it's not a Blind Melon documentary. It's something more different than that and more unique. And I think that music fans and filmmakers alike, I think, will really get something out of it.
0: I mean, I'm chomping at the bit as soon as I just heard about the film, but then, you know, reading about it and, and, of course, now speaking with you. You know, I I can't wait. I I, I really believe that it's going to come out one way or another. I mentioned Showtime, but they've been doing a lot of really interesting rock docs that don't sound like what you're talking about, but like on Agnostic fronts or just different. I don't know. Um, another former guest of mine, Brian Head Welsh from from Corn, uh, which became about addiction, uh, which was they. I think like you, it started as some one thing. You know, the story of Corn and then turned into another thing about addiction because it's still prevalent it's a story that that needs to be shared and told and and now is the conversations that we have now with with suicide with uh, Chris Cornell and and it's just it's important to get this out there because it's still a problem it's still a problem and you know uh his friends and family his fans obviously still miss him you know uh, obviously this I'm I'm excited for this film But in a way, and you can tell me if you feel the same, you kind of wish it wasn't made or it was made by him. Like, he was around to see it, you know, even though this is, I'm sure, a great movie. But
1: you wish he was here, obviously. Yeah, I mean, of course, of course, you know. But the family, you know, and, and the band, everybody that knew him really well, they were like, he would fucking love this film. Cool. He would love it. It's adventurous. It's honest it's an honest portrait. We're not shying away from the d- drug abuse. We're not tr- shying away from the issues that he had, uh, that he was facing. Um, but we show, you know, the good and bad sides. And it's like, he really comes through and all the things that he filmed, like all the time, like that we saw recurring over and over again, were, um, you know, we made sure that we put that stuff in the film so that people could really know what he was thinking and, you know, um, when we when we put, for example, uh, you know, this story together and, you know, at one point you have this moment where he, you know, is just talking about the fragile nature of his family uh, at home and how he wanted to get out of there. And then, you know, it's like and then, you know, you cut to the next scene where the band's playing and he's saying, you know, I only wanted to be 16 and free, hmm. you know, so you're like you're you're basically hearing him talk about what's bothering him and seeing him translated into a song. And, wow. you know, and so each song we put um, lower thirds, you know, like underneath it. So people could read it. And, and so they can read the words to the song. Cause you know, as you know, sometimes you can be listening on your headphones and not understand what somebody's saying. Sure. Um, so, so lyrically it was really important for us to put that up there and, okay. and you can see how storytelling, you know, how it works with the storytelling where, you know, the scene before it or the scene after it is relating to that particular song.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. Any, uh, interviews? Cause you mentioned Mike McCready before when you heard that voicemail, did you reach out to him at all saying, do you remember calling Shannon at this time to get his perspective?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I did because, um, I'm friends with Mike and I really wanted to, um, you know, I, I was only honorable to to ask him if we could use that um, that clip in there, and uh, and he he was he was all for it. You know, he 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 granted us the. Uh, you know, I sent it to him and showed him what context it was used in, and that, and, and um, of course, he's been. Uh, he's been great and he's come out the other side, uh, as good as anyone ever could. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah. he's just a great man and he's, you know, supportive of it. So, um, I was grateful to, uh, Mike McCready for that. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's just interviews, like just, I mean, we have tons of interview footage and all that stuff that he basically recorded himself. So it's it's interesting. It really is.
0: Wow, we were talking the beginning of you wearing so many hats, but Shannon was wearing it. Uh, I was going to ask like is does he just become like an interviewer? And it sounds like he, he did.
1: You know, he, he is he's like a he's like a National Geographic uh documentary <laughs> out there in out there in the wild capturing all this stuff and yeah he would go sit down for an interview and he'd just like put the camera down on the table and just walk over to his spot he'd frame it up and then get in there and they'd do their interview or like you know the film opens with him like you know back then they had these little tiny like microphone suction cups that you could suction onto the uh the earpiece of a regular telephone right right so then you'd be able and then you'd plug it into your um your video camera and you could hear the person on the other end and the film basically opens with him saying, you know, some guys like, hey, Shannon, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. You know, like he's got this, you know, you can see the little, he put him putting it on the phone and answering the call and like talking to this guy and starting to tell his life story. And throughout the whole film, he's basically telling us his own life story.
0: Wow. I, I, I wish I'm so glad this is finally uh, out and I know it's, it's limited right now and you're working on it, but. I I gotta believe, you know what the blind Melon family says that Shannon would have loved this, and it really sounds, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe not the way that he when he wanted it or how, but the fact that it's it's out. I I, I got to imagine Shannon smiling somewhere and, and to hear, you know, and getting those yeah. little things like Mike McCready that, that shows a friend reaching out to a friend, no matter yeah. how big you are. Those are two rock stars, you know, asking for help. I think that is so important for, for fans to, to yeah. know about, you know, it, that it doesn't matter how big you are, how much money you have. We all, you know, walk the same earth, you know, we all have the same yeah. problems. So stuff like that is yeah. super important. So I'm glad that's, that's being shown. Yeah.
1: And, with that said, um, we we have partnered up with um, music cares okay uh, which is you know the organization that looks after musicians um, through the recording academy the Grammys recording academy and um, and they you know do fundraisers and they and they they basically raise them a lot of money to help people with mental health issues with addiction with you know, health insurance and dental and living, living places and instruments and like, you know, they 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 just and you know, um, funny enough, uh, you know, when Shannon passed, they um, they gave part of the proceeds from the Nico record to Music Cares back in the day, and so it's just kind of an extension of that, and then, and I wanted to educate myself about it, um, and we want be able to let people know that people that have these issues that. You know, people care about them and that, you know, uh, there is help out there and you should seek it. And You shouldn't just go into your own little corner. You should go out and find your friends and let let them know that you're having issues. And, you know, it's become clear through what I've learned from them that, you know, uh, creative people have, uh, you know, 14 percent. Uh, bigger chance of you know, addiction and mental health issues uh just because of the way their brains work and mm. and um and, and and that it's important to you know sometimes you just don't even know someone has an issue, you know, and you know, they maybe they don't even know, you know, and it's like I mean, you just you just question what happens to someone, you know, that has everything and has it going or, you know, and and not, it's not all wealthy people we're talking about just creative people in general or musicians or anyone, anyone, even a regular, you know, um, honorable, lovely person is, is, you know, feeling like their worth in the world is slipping away. Um, And it's, you know, they, they need to know where to go and where to turn. And so we're hoping to, use this as a platform to help others.
0: I think that's amazing and brilliant because that's what I use this podcast for because I've I've struggled I pretty much spent my entire 20s not being a, a, not wanting to be on this planet anymore but you know thank thankfully for for therapy and uh you know medication and you know just mm. uh getting the the right people uh around me you know right friends good relationships all that it's um, so important it it, it so really important. is so that's why through this this prism of of Guns N' Roses we get to talk about important documentaries not, not that aside from yeah. me, this is a cool documentary uh, Blind Melon is a great band Shannon you know uh one of the, the best singers of that era but just it's so important and I'm so glad that um he's not I mean he's not forgotten but there's a whole uh genre of people you know millennials whatever you want to call it, that may not be familiar they may not know more than the B song <laughs> that uh, he yeah. I, I'm, his legacy needs to live on, and I'm I'm really glad you know, you're helping like, out with that.
1: You can't like one no rain song with a B girl video is shouldn't be the thing that that describes the band, and, sure. and, and and that and so and I think you you know music fans out there who appreciate great music would be really uh, surprised if you don't already know uh, how great this music is and how timeless it is. And it's like, you know, Soup was, you know, uh, recorded by Andy Wallace. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's not trendy. It's not grunge. It's not, uh, you know, it's classic. The, the way they, the way they recorded it is 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 really classic, and it doesn't have like a trendy, like feel like a '90s record. So, like I just couldn't, I couldn't ask enough for people to give it a chance because, you know, it's just really great music. All three of the records, honestly, are all really like incredible, and 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 it's funny. I said to Christopher the other day, and I was like, you know, going on on my whole thing, like, you know, people. You know, when they talk about the great singers of that era who have passed away, and they talk about Chris Cornell and Lane Staley and Kurt Cobain, like right. they don't even put Shannon. They don't even they don't even mention Shannon. They've right. forgotten about him. You know, and like and mm. I was like, and here you guys went and made this record, Soup, which by the way got like one and a half stars in Rolling Stone. <laughs> whatever, whatever. And, you know? and and exactly, but you know what that meant the world to the band at the time, and it it, 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 it it kind of puts you know. It it, it puts a a stink on it, you know, to the general public. And, And I was talking to Christopher, and I was like, like it was such an adventurous record. I mean, it starts out with a New Orleans kind of dirge, and then it's like got all this like really cool, weird, unexpected, you know, certainly not anything close to No Rain style vibe and it's like it's really, really interesting. And Christopher was like, Yeah, it's funny you should say that. He said, you know, like we didn't feel like we were being overly experimental. We were just kinda doing what we had hoped to do and we just dove in and did it, you know? Mm. And so, um, you know, it was interesting.
0: Yeah and it's unfortunately it's not just with uh Blind Melon but how many bands get pitch and held to their their one big single. Uh, but you're the more important thing is that Shannon needs to be in, included in that group of of great singers and you know that's why it, yeah. I'm glad that you know within the confines of this podcast he can organically come up because he's so close to the GnR world. Um, but I, and, and you're right with everything you said about uh, Blind Melon, because I was mainly familiar with that first record, but after, or preparing for my interview with Christopher, I dove in and I was like, whoa. And again, after seeing them at La Poussin Rouge here in in, in NYC, I just like, I became like a, a huge fan again. I'm like, wow, yeah. I, this is just an yeah. incredible band that I'm really glad that uh, they're out there doing it in, in support and supporting yeah, and in keeping too. his memory alive. Um no I I super I really appreciate your time but I would be remiss if I didn't ask one more question because I went to that uh that concert uh with my girlfriend and she is the biggest Dave Matthews fan. Uh how I'm with GNR, she's with Dave Matthews so and I know you, <laughs> you've worked with him you have shot um I don't know one or two a few of his videos or at least one of his videos. Uh, oh yeah. Sure. Can you tell me just a little bit about uh, – because I'm, th- I'm going to my first Dave Matthews concert this year. I'm uh, so this Oh,
1: yeah? Where are you going? I th- oh, she hasn't
0: decided. I think I might be going. She travels. She's gone to Seattle, Mexico, all over. So I think yeah. she's trying to – I think I'm going to just be boring and, and go to the one in Jones Beach here.
1: On All right. Well, here's around. what you need to do, right? Okay. Here's the thing. I put on a um, music festival in Asbury Park. Uh, it's the second year. Last year, uh, we had Incubus and Jack Johnson as headliners. It's surfing, music, and art. We had Blondie. We had Social Distortion last year. Bruce Springsteen came in and sat in with Social Distortion. I created a big art gallery with uh, art from the musicians themselves. We had a surfing uh, contingent out there, surfing in between the sets and during the sets of music, Um, men and women. It's incredible. And this year, our headliners are uh lumineers on saturday the 21st that's where she wants um, i think
0: she's going to that with her one of her friends yes yeah
1: and uh and dave matthew's band on the 22nd so that's uh that is um you know see here now yeah yeah and it's a, it's a great festival it's on the beach in asbury park three stages two days and you and your girl need to come down out man you know what i'm saying
0: you know what? I think I, I'm going to have to go to two Dave Matthews concerts this year, and I'll, I'll hit you up. There you go. Uh, what kind there of a go. guy is he, though?
1: He's a great guy. He's a great guy. He's funny. He's one of the funniest people I know, actually. Uh, he, he gets me laughing, and I just like start to tear up, and it's like <laughs> I've almost embarrassed myself a couple of times just because of complete laughing fits by hanging out with him and the band. And I recently just did all their new publicity photos and stuff. They don't do that many of them because they don't really need to. They just go out and do what they do. And uh, every five, six years or so, the band will call me and they're like, yeah, you know, we, you know, like my, my beard's a little longer and uh, I cut my hair, so uh, maybe it's time we do another <laughs> shoot. Uh, and then, you know, we just go and we just – I just – dial it in and you know we find a great location and we spend a couple hours together and have a laugh and then we go to the bar and drink some whiskey and uh and he's just he really is uh, one of my favorite people and that's the blessing for this uh career that i'm in is meeting people like dave me you know dave matthews and and uh and shannon and christopher and rogers and brad and glenn and just like everybody you know creative people who are just so soulful and like really are living the dream really, you know, and we all feel so fortunate to do what we do. And Dave Matthews is one of those people. And, uh, and, and, you know, also Dave, uh, Pearl Jam, Bruce Springsteen, uh, all people who are given back to their community on the regular basis, you know, and I admire people like that. And I try to do the same thing. Uh, and I do that at my gallery in Asbury park, uh, You know, we have, uh, you know, the Monmouth Boys and Girls Club fundraisers there. We have fundraisers for the young mothers in uh, Neptune High School and uh, and and just many, many other charities there that we uh, we try to we try to bring people together through art and music and, and, uh, and just good people, you know.
0: You're a good, but pe- you're a good people, Danny.
1: <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. Thank taking you. My lead from these people. You know?
0: <laughs> Danny clinch, uh, photographer, film director, all I can say, which is a brilliant title to the, the film, by the way, I, I can't thank wait you. until, you know, it keeps, keep, it, it keep, the natural progression. It's going to be out somewhere so that everybody could see it. I'm just glad that it's completed. Uh, Shannon somewhere smiling. And I, again, I just can't thank you so yeah. much for your time. And when it does, uh, it, when it is out to the masses, I would love to have you back on. Great. I'm in. Thank you so much, Danny. Thank and, you,
1: man. I appreciate you.
0: You take care, Danny. And I also appreciate you. Yes, I'm talking to you, my. I've been slacking on the sound bites. I guess with conversations just like that, many these episodes, I just get so sucked into the conversation. You know, I forget about all the buttons I have.
1: It was so rad. It's rad. rat. It's pretty a radical.
0: <laughs> Maybe it's a good thing that I forgot uh, that I have all these buttons. Uh, one last one, though, for now. Shotgun. News. All right, let's wrap up the episode with uh, some shotgun news. First one I want to mention, uh, Duff, who is, of course, doing many an interview now uh, in support of his new solo record, uh, Tenderness. Uh, he said recently, this was with a Classic Rock Magazine. All right, I always want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. He confirmed that Izzy was supposed to be part of the band's original tour. Duff says, I don't know what the actual truth is. Quick sidebar, if Duff doesn't know the actual truth, don't believe anyone that says that they do. Duff saying, I don't know what the actual truth is. We definitely wanted him to do it, and I think he entertained the thought, but he never came down and rehearsed. We would amps for him, ready to go. The first month of rehearsal went by, nothing. The second month of rehearsal came by, and we're talking to him. We're getting close. Is The third month of rehearsal went by, nothing. I guess he just didn't want to tour this big uh, and for so long. Now, a couple interesting things, if you you may remember. Uh, It was our first Alan Niven interview when he mentioned that Izzy had gone to a soundcheck. Now, here's some conflicting reports, Duff saying that he never showed up at a soundcheck. Uh, Alan said that he did. Alan, of course, not there. He just—people know each other. People still talk. That's just—it is what it is. Uh, But I I think the most important thing to say, you know, depending upon—because Duff's like, I don't even know what the full truth is. It's confirmed that Izzy was kind of involved We just don't know what the whole story is. Of course, we can't forget the tweet. Uh, Whenever Izzy does tweet now, he seems to delete uh, shortly after uh, that he mentioned uh, not getting an equal part of the loot. I I, I don't know. I don't don't want to assume anything more than what you all know because I'm just – I'm not in the band. It's just – for me, I don't know. It just leaves kind of hope for a, a, a show that he was involved that they're still talking to him that they you know wish him happy birthday on on Twitter i just think there's there's still hope out there it sucks that it didn't happen this time around and i do need to say that all of us talking about izzy you know wanting him to you know whether it be one show or qu- reunite whatever that means it's certainly not a slight to richard Fortas. and i don't even if izzy did do something i think richard would still be on stage with izzy richard is a beloved member Of the Guns N' Roses family, you know, not just by fans, but Slash and Duff sing his praises. So I just don't think uh, anything would be done to rock that foundation too, anything with Richard. So I think there's just too many variables going on for we, the fans, uh, to really know the truth about. That's just what I want to say. And speaking of uh, true or fake or whatever, there were... It was very quick and and died pretty quickly as far as rumors, and you GNR fans are great. Uh, Somebody inboxed me, then I saw it on the GNFNR fan spot uh, run by Margot, who did a great job on shutting down these, well, what I'm alluding to. We thought they were a a new batch of leaks that came out. We weren't sure if they were Chinese Democracy era. Some said Axel and Slash. Some said Axel and Izzy. New, old, people getting excited. And you listen, you can't tell if it's a demo, but whoa, boy, does that sound like Axel. Boy, does that sound like Slash's tone. Well, it seems like we just have GNR's rs version of Greta Van Fleet. But I, what I mean is, of course, well, I don't want to say of course as a slight to Greta Van Fleet. They sound very much like Led Zeppelin. I don't think that's just my opinion that's... It's a big opinion, but they're obviously very talented, but they sound like Led Zeppelin. This band called Chesney and Atkins, not the uh, Kenny Chesney and, and, was it Trace Atkins? No, it's two other guys, I guess, but it's Ch- uh, Chesney, uh, Chesney and Atkins. Uh, one of the songs is called Vehicular Blues. So they have us a bunch of songs that kind of sound like Guns N' Roses. Again, like Greta Van Fleet sounds like Led Zeppelin. So just great job on not letting the the lie or the hope that this is new music really get out of hand and, and for people to believe. Because I don't know. It was I think it was one thing when we heard all the leaks with the Chinese democracy era, because it was just, hey, we don't know what's going on. We need anything out there to, to believe. Now it's just good to believe that they're all in a good place. Uh, yeah, it would be great for if they made some sort of announcement. Oh, we're releasing a new album. This we're in the studio. It's just it's just not what they do. If if you if you don't like it, I mean, how are you a Guns N' Roses fan at this point? It's just part of the allure, the mystery, the, the guessing. Um, but I'd rather know it's a fake. And the songs are good. I mean, you could still enjoy the music just because it's not Guns N' Roses. It doesn't mean you you don't have to listen to it. So check out uh, Chesney and Atkins. Actually, you can listen to it on uh, Stephen Chesney Music on YouTube. S T E P H E N Chesney Music. Maybe I'll get them on the show. That could be interesting. Kind of like the whole the the whole fake Beatles thing. The Ruttles. Maybe that's this is GNR's version of that. So uh, that'll just do it for a little shotgun news. And that does it for episode 123 of Appetite for Distortion. Appreciate every single one of you, whether you found us through AlternativeNation.net, iHeartRadio, you can listen on the iHeartRadio app, uh, Spreaker, Stitcher, uh, YouTube, Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud. If you have any issues ever listening to an episode on any platform, just let me know. Uh, whether it be on Facebook or on Twitter, facebook.com slash the AFD show or on Twitter at the AFD show. Just send me a DM. And worst case scenario, I'd be happy to send you the audio um, personally so you can enjoy it. I know sometimes – I mean I I haven't had too many problems, um, but I just want to let you know I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Uh, because I appreciate all, all of you, because there wouldn't be 123 episodes of Appetite for Distortion without you. So please keep spreading the word. Let people know what we're doing here. We're talking about Guns N' Roses in a very different and special way. So as far as the next episode, guests coming up, well, I'm going to say the best uh, source to find out and, and keep up to date what's going on with this podcast is to, again, follow us uh, on Facebook or on Twitter. Actually, you can also follow me on Instagram. I know many of you have uh, messaged me there. Uh, that's at Brando. B-E-L-B-I-V, Brando. Uh, you know, in the future, maybe we'll do uh, an official show on Instagram. Maybe you put up a website. But I think we're doing pretty good for now. So when will you see the next episode of Appetite for Distortion? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. Yeah! I'm going home.